Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. encourage you guys whether you're here whether you're in zoom um, and it sounds strange you know in our small group also this week we spoke about you know those three things that steal faith isolation fear and passivity and specifically when it comes to isolation and I'm speaking to the people and saying isolation wise how are you doing and a lot of people would answer no no isolation wise I'm fine because we didn't stop working we've always been at work but that is not the question how are you doing isolation-wise? You can be surrounded by people, yet be isolated. Yet be isolated. Because the world teaches us not to be real, not to come forward with how you actually feel, think, or what you want to say. I put up a mask, literally now. <laughs> but also, you know what I mean. And, and, and just say the correct things, you know. Don't, don't say who you really are. And so if you're not real and surrounded by people, you are still isolated, or at least the real you. He's isolated. The pretend you, he's, he's connecting well. But the real you, how you actually feel, what you actually want to say and think, we should be intentional. You're not isolating in that aspect. Emotional isolation. I want to ask that to us as well. How are you doing isolation-wise? The Bible says, the one who isolates himself has cast off all sound judgment. He doesn't want sound input. You know, short for short, when... You have that friend or someone that you've been walking a road with and you're really pursuing God together and all of a sudden they just vanish from the picture. A month or two, you can phone them. And I know because if I do that, then I'm busy with something as well. Because that's how we work as humans. So don't isolate yourself. Be intentional to really connect and press in. But before I deviate on an isolation sermon, let me open for us in prayer and, and get to tonight's sermon. Yes, Lord, Father, thank you that we can be here together, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's at home, Father, as well, that's tuning in, Father. I pray for everyone that is sick, Lord, that's busy isolating people that were in contact with people, Father. And we pray your hand of healing, Father, over our congregation, Lord, and over the, the town of Secunda, Lord. And we also specifically just bring Vessel before you, Lord, and you know, come and pray for healing for him as well, Lord, and that you'll be with him, Father, and with Christelle as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe I said something now while I was busy praying and some of you are wondering why I prayed what I prayed. So let me just also clarify maybe what I said. Um, so Vessel and Crystal Bunet, they also have COVID and uh, Vessel's oxygen level is a little bit low. Um, so if you can also pray for him and um, for Crystal as well in this time. Um, just for God to, to really be there for them and to heal. That'll be great. Okay, let's dive in to tonight's sermon. So our title for tonight is Jesus, Our First Love remember and repent and then call this morning as well he just also brought a, a message a message of repentance so he said this morning you know if you do not repent by the end of the night repent that you did not repent and then repent again because clearly you know god is speaking about repentance to us tonight and then specifically the season that we're going through and i want to ask one simple question tonight that we need to answer for ourselves you know, like I said, as we can isolate with people, being surrounded by people, yet be isolated, we many times do the same with God. We, 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 we struggle not to pretend sometimes. You know, we confront with a lot of pretense in the world around us. Social media teaches us that from a young age as well. 
That, that is the things that we need to face. And many times we do that with God as well. And we need to check ourselves in that aspect as well. You know, whenever you begin to pray, you draw near to God and so suddenly your voice changes. That's some indications. Something's going on. You know, yes, we get excited sometimes when we speak to people as well and we get excited when we pray as well. But there needs to be a normal you when you engage with God as well. You know, God knows who you are, what you think, what you are busy with. And sometimes we can isolate when it comes to God as well. We're busy with stuff, yet we are far from God. Now, I said it as well. I, I do it less now. But I remember whenever you're praying, I don't know if you've experienced this, and God says something to you. And normally, it's you know, something to repent about or to confess or to go and speak to someone or to reconcile or to forgive or whatever the case might be. And as I'm busy praying and God confronts me with this, I just start praying louder as if I'm not hearing what God says. I don't know if you've done that. I don't want to hear that now. And sometimes we do that as well. And uh, it's, it's, it's difficult for us not to, not to engage with that and to be real with God and to obey whenever He calls us to do certain things. You know, the one thing about God is that He's not going to debate with you about what it is that He wants you to do because He's God. You know, you can't change His mind. You know, the rich young ruler coming to Jesus, what must I do? Jesus is going to sell all that you have. Give to the poor, follow me. And the man goes away sad and Jesus doesn't run after him and say, okay, wait, 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 let's start 20%, let's grow gradually. I got it, I was maybe a bit over-eager there. Let's, you know, take it back a bit and let's start low and then we'll, we'll grow. No, that's it. And if you want to follow, that's still it. It will remain that. And I remember once I was um, setting out the day to fast and I'm going to draw near to God and really ask God, you know, what is it, Lord, that is hindering our relationship? I just want to grow closer to you. You know, that's the reason for fasting, to, to be near to God. That's why we fast, for the presence of Christ and that alone. Yes, it comes with certain breakthroughs and stuff, but that's the reason. And I'm driving the morning still. It's still early in this day. You know, sometimes God is gracious and at least allows you to, to go through the day before He comes with the, with the heavy punches. But that morning wasn't like that. And I remember I was driving and God tells me what He wants me to do. I turned around, I went home, and I made breakfast. Yeah. Because I knew I, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do this. I don't want to do this. And I know, I know God. I can continue to fast for two weeks and worship and pray and ask God to speak to me about something different. It's not going to happen. He already said, and that thing will remain there like a wall until I do that. Because He is God. He does not negotiate with us. That is how it works. And many times when we also feel, no, you know, God is a little bit silent in my life. It's not that He stopped speaking. It's just that He has already spoken. He has already spoken. He's not going to speak to you about something else. Go do that. The thing that He has already said. And then many times we feel God saying something, we know there's an area that we should be obedient in, and we try to ignore that and suppress that, and we go on with normative Christian life. But when we're honest with ourselves, it looks good from the outside, maybe. But the question is, is the presence of God still a reality in my life? Is Jesus still my first love? Because that is the title, Jesus, our first love, remember and repent. And that is the one question that I want to ask ourselves, that you must you know, look a little bit deep and be real with yourself. Is Jesus still my first love? Is the presence of God still a reality in my life? Because it can look 
like a lot of things, and especially, you know, us being human, we are creatures of habit. And sometimes we, we get into a habit of doing things. Going to church, going to eat in the session, going to small group, gathering together for fellowship, and the rhythm looks nice, and therefore I think I must be doing great with my relationship with God. Because us humans, we also like to work for stuff. So I'm working, I'm doing all of the stuff, so therefore God must be pleased. So therefore I feel close to God. You know, we've said that many times, I feel close to God, or I feel far from God. And the question is, how do you define that? When do you feel far from God? When do you feel near to God? And we must be careful that it's not a slave mentality that we fall into. I think I feel close to God because I think He will accept me now because I'm doing all of the right things. But that's not how it works many times. The things should flow out of a nearness to God. Jesus being a first love, then those things come automatically. And we're going to look at two passages of Scripture tonight. One the main one and one a bit of an ad hoc one that can just give us some information about a similar circumstance in the Old Testament concerning Israel. So the first one is Revelations 2 from verse 1 to 7. And it's Jesus appearing to John on the island of Patmos and he's writing seven letters to seven churches. Five of them need to repent of some stuff, two of them at least enduring. And the second one and the sixth one. They should just endure. They should just continue in their faith. But Jesus is writing these letters to the churches. And to the first one, he says, you've forsaken the love that you've had at first. You don't love me as you had at first. Some people say, no, you must be speaking about people. That goes together. I cannot say that I love God and do not love people. So inevitably, regardless of how you interpret it, the love for Christ isn't there. The first love isn't there. That should be Jesus. And then there's a similar circumstances in Jeremiah 2 to 5. And I would encourage you guys to go and read that. We're going to do two points tonight and then two more points next week. But to go and read through that piece of, of history of Israel. And they're a bit in a worse position than the church in Ephesus. They've fallen away completely. In Jeremiah 3 verse 5, God says, Every evil thing that you could have done, you have done that. And now you're thinking up more. So they're a bit farther away from, from God than the church in Ephesus. But the question is, wherever you are tonight, you need to ask yourselves this question. If I am near to God, if Jesus is my first love, if that passion is still there, how do I keep Jesus, my first love? What should I always remember? And if you've drifted away from Jesus, however far, the question is, what should I repent of and remember to keep Jesus again or to return to Jesus again as my first love? So let's read together. And we see what we can learn from this passage. Revelations 2, from verse 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this, I know your deeds, your toil, and your perseverance, and you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaians, which I also hate. You... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, a lot of things that we can learn from that passage, but just to turn here to verse 2 and verse 3. And the question that I want to ask us, if we look at this and you have to, you know, say you have an assignment, church assignment, you should draw up a, a model for how a biblical church should look. And this is the template, you know, what what do you think is missing here? Or what, what would you add here? Because for me, it looks pretty complete. It looks like a biblical, godly church, that everything is in place. And it says the following in verse 2 to 3. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, meaning they are abounding in good works to the point of weariness, and they are continuing in that. And the Bible defines good works. It's the things that God expects of us. They are abounding in that to the point of weariness, and they are continuing in that. It says, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. So they are in a state of moral purity. They are not living immoral lives. They are not joining in the sins of the world. They are standing out in the midst of a crooked generation, like Scripture expects of us. State of moral purity, well, as, as moral as we can be. You know, we will never be without sin until Jesus comes back, but, but they are getting this right. They cannot tolerate evil men. They're not joining in the immorality of the world, but they are living pure lives in the sight of Christ, and they are shining as lights to the world. Then it says, and you have put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. The people that want to come and teach the word of God, you have found that they are false, and that their doctrines are not correct. So they have discernment, and they understand the word of God. They have correct doctrine. So that's also in place. Sound doctrine, discernment, knowing when someone comes to bring heresy into the church. And it says, and you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. And so they've experienced persecution and affliction, and they've endured in that for the sake of the name of Jesus. What's missing here? I mean, that looks pretty good. I mean, that's impressive. That is impressive. That is a, a biblical church. And then as you read through it for the first time, verse 4 kind of catches you, but of God. You're not expecting that the next verse is about, I have this against you. I'm not expecting that something's wrong, but when we read verse 4, we read the following. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And then Jesus says, this is what's going to happen if you don't repent. And it goes on in verse 5. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. And what it means is Jesus is saying there that firstly, if you do not repent, I will remove your effectiveness as a church. I will remove my presence from you. You will not shine as lights to the world. You will not be a light to the world. You will not be salt to the world. I will remove my presence from you and you'll be ineffective as a church unless you repent. And then secondly, if you continue in that, I will remove the church altogether. In the year 300 after Christ, and the question is, will Jesus really do that? I mean, there's not much wrong there. It's just that Jesus isn't the first priority, isn't the first love. It's not that they are spreading heresies. It's not that they are tolerating bad doctrine. It's not that they are living immoral lives. It's not that they are backing off when persecution comes, you know, saying like Peter, no, we don't know Jesus. And when the bad guys go away, they're saying, okay, let's pray again. No. They're enduring. So with all of those good things, Jesus, will you really, just because... You're not the first love. Just because they've 
fallen back a little bit, will you remove the church? Three, four hundred years after Christ, first people comes in, whoops, wipes the whole city. They rebuild a little bit, but then about seven hundred years after Christ, all seven of those churches, gone. Islam comes, take over. Until still, till today, it's about 90% plus Islam in those regions till today. She said, Jesus will really. Yes, you'll give them enough time to repent. Slowly but surely becoming less effective as a church and then removed altogether. And as a small group, we read through the book of Revelations with all of the interesting, let's call them stories, going around the world with the whole COVID thing happening. And as a small group, we read through Revelations and Stephen, one of the guys, also says, and he went and looked at what happened to those churches today and he says, can you believe that, that that is what's left? That is how it looks now, thriving, addressed specifically by Jesus. And that's what's left. Unless you repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place. And something important that we have to note from that scripture as well is that Jesus is not the limiting factor. See, because John sees the revelation of Jesus in chapter 1, Jesus in all of his fullness. Eyes shining like the sun, hair of burnished bronze, sword coming out of his mouth, feet of bronze, sound of his voice like many waters. In all of his fullness, walking amongst the lampstands, that is the churches. He's saying, I am present with my churches. And when he speaks to the church in Ephesus, he says, the one writing is the one that's walking amongst the lampstands. I am present. The fact that you do not experience my presence or my nearness or that you've lost your first love is not because I am holding back. Like we said a while back, you know, when we say, my relationship with Jesus is not where I want it to be, that's a lie. It can only be where you want it to be because we are the limiting factor. It is exactly where you want it to be because nobody steals your Bible when you want to read it or grabs your mouth when you want to pray or lock your gates when you want to go out and have fellowship our relationship with Christ is where we want it to be because if we want to draw near we can it's really as simple as that repenting draw near sometimes not a nice feeling letting go and letting down the things of this world saying to Christ again Lord please forgive and restore but it is that simple Jesus present with his churches and again I'm not saying we are here you know where you are but the question then is if Jesus is my first love and that passion is still there how do I keep him my first love and if not what should I remember and repent of so that Jesus can again be my first love so read here in Jeremiah 2 verse 6 and verse 19 and again in the beginning of that passage Jesus says like a young married couple we were in love but then you have forsaken me to go and find other lovers you have forsaken the Lord your God so exactly the same context and God gives us a little bit of a clue of of what has happened what is it that they forgot what is it that they must remember and it says in verse 6 they did not ask where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness through a land of desert and ravines a land of drought and utter darkness a land where no one travels and no one lives what God is saying you have forgotten what I have done for you and then in verse 19 it says know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God the fear of me is not in you declares the Lord 
God of hosts, you do not know who I am. Because if you know who God is, then the fear of God will be in you. No doubt about that. You have forgotten who I am. You have forgotten what I've done for you. And in Exodus, Jesus tells the Israelites, listen, you're going to go into the promised land. Do not forget what I have done for you. There's going to come a time in space where you think that by your own might and by your own wisdom you have acquired this land. Not so. You were afraid each and every time. Me and my wife, we're actually busy in this portion of the Bible at the moment as well. And every morning she comes and it's like, what must God do for them to like get it, to remember? Like plagues, the sea opening up and fire and pillars. And then God says, but he'll still lead them the long way around because they're going to be scared of the Philistines. Then I'm like, huh? Wow. And then she says, yes, that's us. I'm like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. That is us. We are like that. You're going to forget what God has done for you. You're going to forget who God is. And we do the same when it comes to our salvation many times. Following God and being following God for a long time. And after a while we forget. And we sing, sing that words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But the sound isn't that, that sweet anymore. Just something that we've gotten used to. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And you're like, yeah, I, I, I get that. I've heard that a thousand times. It's like, no. You need to remember what that means. You need to know how dependent you are of the grace of God today, like the day you first called on his name. In need of the grace of God, I, I bring nothing to the table. I add nothing to salvation. It's like Jonathan Edwards says, we add nothing to salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's the only thing we bring to the table. But in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, we are saved. Nowhere do we add anything. No matter how long we follow God, He just desires uprightness of heart. Yes, Lord, this is the real me. And I want to obey. And then God uses and He leads us. Not because we followed so long or because we've done all of this. Simply because of the grace of God. That takes us to point number one tonight. Remember and repent. Remember who God is. And what he has done. Remember who God is and what he has done. And specifically when it comes to the presence of God. You know, Jesus coming to restore us to the presence of God. Here and now and then fully in heaven one day. Yes. That is the theme of scripture. Man born and made in the presence of God. Sin comes and he disconnects us from God. And then scripture comes and reveals the story of a gracious God pursuing us so that we can again be restored to his presence and end up one day again in heaven, in paradise, with God being present with us and now also with us through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, when we speak about the presence of God because we live 2,000 years after Christ have come, we, we, we don't get it as the people in the Old Testament understood it. You know, there's this story in Exodus 33 of Moses going to the tent of meeting and the pillar descends on the tent and it says God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face and that part sounds nice but after that you read that the Israelites all of them stood by their tent doors and worshipped and looked and saw someone experiencing something that they will never be able to in their lifetime because Jesus hasn't come to die for sin yet 
They can't go in. They don't know what that feels like. And then when the writer of Hebrews writes to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 and says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace based upon what Jesus has done, they understand it a little bit different. Now we ask, okay, Lord, I've sinned again. Can I draw close? Will you accept me still? Yes, yes. Now draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I want to ask something of God. Can I draw now? Yes, draw near with a with confidence to the throne of grace. And the Hebrew guys, they're asking, can I draw near without dying? Am I still going to live afterwards? They're like, yes, because you have a faithful high priest tempted in every aspect as you were yet without sin, you can draw near because of what Jesus has done. Because they know, you are just reached out his hand to keep the ark from falling and he was struck dead. And they know that the high priest needed to go in with bells around his waist because if he goes in there with pride or because he did a sacrifice wrong, he dies. Because Jesus hasn't come. The sacrifice has not been made. And the question that I want to ask us as we're sitting here tonight, do you have an awe and a reverence for the presence of God? An awe and a reverence, do you understand the privilege beginning to pray and God actually listens opening up the word feeling the presence of God with you lifting up your hands in worship experience God with us do you have an awe and a reverence for the presence of God do you understand who God is the almighty the king of kings if not remember and repent and ask God again like David Lord come and teach us to fear your name and it sounds strange to us, but that's what Jesus commands us as well. Do not fear those who can hurt the body. Fear him who can cast both body and soul in hell. Don't fear hell. Fear him. The godly own reverence for the presence of God. Understanding what Jesus has done. Because when we forget that, it makes the sacrifice look small. But when we understand that, we understand what Jesus came and did for us. The Israelites, they built altars unto God. You know, Shane was here this morning. Shane from Langa made the paramedics, and I told him, you know, that whenever something happened to them, or God came through, or God did something, or God revealed himself to them, stacked a bunch of rocks, made an altar, and whenever they passed there again, they remembered what God has done. But if you were like in a car accident or something like that, and you made it, don't pile rocks in the road to remember how God came through for you. Just a disclaimer. Don't do that. Just making a joke, guys. You can't do that. I'm kidding. So what do we remember? What is, what is our altar resurrected unto God so that we can remember? Luke 22, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember. I encourage you guys often, not just when we do it at church, but as, at home, as individuals, as a small group, with your wife, with your husband, with your children. Do this in remembrance of me. Because when the Corinthian church lost their ways and they deviated from the gospel, Paul writes to them, Do the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of Him. You have forgotten who God is and what He has done for you. Remember and repent. And then the question that we ask ourselves, Jesus comes to restore us to the presence of our holy God. How should a life in that presence look like? What does it mean to be called by God? How will it look? Because if we have the wrong idea of what we are called to, then we will also fall away quite easily. Because it didn't meet my expectation. This wasn't what I signed up for. 
They said, give my life to Jesus and I would have been healed by now. Give your life to Jesus, I, I would have been blessed by now. We would have been 10 people by now, if you get what I'm saying. That's not what Scripture says. It looks a little bit different. Look at what, I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless us, but many times it looks a little bit different than what we expect. Revelations 2 verse 10. This is to the church in Smyrna. This is one of the churches that did nothing wrong. There's no accusation against them. There's nothing that they should repent of. Same with the sixth church, the church in Philadelphia. Nothing wrong there. They don't need to repent of anything, but this is the word of God for them. A church 100% in the will of God and Jesus 100% present with them. And he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days have tribulation. Now that doesn't sound too bad. It's like it's bad, but we can press through 10 days. But then, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some of them will die in the next ten days. Some of them will die thereafter. Every one of the apostles except John was killed for the name of Jesus. Like, Lord, how, how, does, this, how does this work? There's nothing that they should repent of. You are fully present with them, yet this is going to happen. And I just put yourself in their shoes for a moment here. People going through different things have, as they have, must have been. And, 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 and the message is read and the guy sitting there is, but, but Lord, I'm getting married at the end of the year. Can't we just wait? I'm not quite sure who's going to die. Is it me? Is it, is it, is it my fiancé? Who's going to make it? Well, Lord, my, my wife's pregnant. Can't, can't I just wait to see the child at least? No. Some of you are going to die now for the sake of Jesus. And it doesn't quite fit our will of what it should look like to follow Jesus. What is going on here? I don't know if you've, if you've read the book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But he was also killed for writing that book and having that stance. The Cost of Discipleship. And it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Not knowing how real that quote would be in a couple of years, because he literally died for following Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. And the mentality that we have as Christians is, Lord, anywhere you send me, anything that's going to happen, if it gives glory unto your name, that is fine with me. I mean, I'll do that. I'll go. And sometimes we get a little bit irritated by that, like Peter did. I know you remember the story just before Jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection and explains to Peter, after he asked him three times, do you love me? And explains to Peter something, Scripture says, to show him but by what kind of death he was going to die. And Peter also said, Lord, but what about John? What about him? And Jesus says, if I want him... And he didn't die for his faith, the only apostle. If I want him to remain until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Paul, when he was called, Ananias went to him and he prophesied and he showed him all that he would to suffer for the name of Jesus. At the end of his life, he also said he doesn't know what awaits him in Jerusalem, but the Holy Spirit testifies city after city that imprisonment and death awaits. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I remember 
uh, the first time that I actually preached about this passage in church as well. A while before that, Karl Albertijn came, one of Werner's friends, to preach here. And he also preached about the will of God for us. And I remember something that he said. I never forget it. And he said there's two times in, in church history or when he reads the Bible that he cannot think of more in the will of God than that. And that is the day Jesus gave his life for us. The day that Jesus was born. And both of them don't quite fit the bill of what we think it should look like when we follow God. Firstly, the Son of the God dying on a cross for us. But also when Jesus comes, it's quite a funny picture if you think about it that way. He said, how it begins is Mary, nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey, on her way to Bethlehem. It's a bit uncomfortable, I think. And when they come there, there's no room and they had to go into a manger. And the king of the world lies in a, a donkey's feeding trough. It just doesn't make sense. It's not how we think it should look like. And when we get it wrong, we get it wrong quite badly. And that takes us to point number two. Remember and repent. Remember to what we are called. Remember to what we are called. It's like David writes in Psalm 73. And he says, my foot almost slipped. I almost fell back. I almost ran away from God. I almost lost the faith. I almost lost my first love. And I asked the question, Lord, am I keeping my hands clean in vain? Because when I look at the wicked, they are prospering. They just go better and better and more blessed and more blessed it seems. But we that are actually following you, Lord, it's not going that great. And then he said, but when I entered into the presence of God, I realized. It became clear to me what the wicked's end and destruction will be and what I have in Jesus. And he says, I, I want nothing. I desire nothing on earth or in heaven, but God is my portion forever. For it's good for me to be near to God. God is my portion. It's Him that I want. It's God that I want. That is it. When I have Him, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. To the Thessalonians, it's an interesting book. And when Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians, it's not in the board, but you can go and read that at home as well. And he says to them, you know, your faith and love is just abounding in the world and it's going out to everyone, and we're just hearing the good report of how faithful you are and how much love you have for all of the saints. But then in chapter 3, verse 4, he writes and he says to them, When we came to you, we told you that as you were receiving the word, persecution is going to come. Difficult times lie ahead. Not follow Jesus and get what you want, but if you accept this message, you will be persecuted. And then in Verse 6, he says, And when Timothy came back, he gave us a good report that you are still in the faith and that you are missing us just as we are missing you because you remembered to what you were called. Not the prosperity gospel, but you received the word in much hardship and affliction, knowing to what you were called. That is something we need to remember as well. And I want to end off for us with one verse. If we can just go there to slide 16. It's Jeremiah 3 verse 12. Just after Jesus says, and God writes to them and says, every wicked thing and every evil thing that you could have done, you have done. And we see the grace of God again for us. And he says the following, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. 
What wonderful news. Again and again, God's grace abounds towards us. His arms still wide open. The call still standing, but whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast away. And I want to encourage us tonight. You know, God writes to the Israelites and He says, How well you direct your course to find love, meaning how easy we turn our hearts away from God. It happens so quickly when our desires and our passions leads us astray. And whenever we feel, no, 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 I think this time I went a little bit too far, or really, I don't know if God is going to accept me this time, or I'm sure I must first do a couple of things. That is your own judgment on yourself. And you are saying, if I was God, I would have, I would have cut the line now. This is too much. I would have not accepted myself again. And your biggest challenge is forgiving yourself, not the forgiveness of God, because He says return. Even if you have committed every evil thing known to man and you have thought up new evil things to do, and you realize that the grace of God is still sufficient, and you remember who God is and what He has done, and you draw near to Him again, and you remember and you repent, and He says, I am merciful, declares the Lord. He will forgive. Draw near to the throne of grace that we might find help in the time of need. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Please, Lord, as a church, I just want to come before you, Father, and firstly just thank you, Lord, for your grace, Lord, your mercy, Father. And we will repent, Lord, as, as we follow you, Lord. I can't remember who said it, Father, but the greatest competitor for devotion towards Christ is duty for Him. You get so caught up in duty, Father, and doing a lot of stuff, Father, that you forget the King of Kings in the midst of it all, Lord. Our first love. Yes, Lord, you are asking us tonight, Father, regardless of how long we follow you, to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Think back on your walk with Christ to those beautiful moments in the beginning where it was just simply about God and ask yourself the question, am I still there? Is it still just about Christ? Just there we are. Why don't you just think back on your walk with God? Ups and downs, valleys and hills, obedience, disobedience, all of that's there. And then ask the question, when was it just about Christ? And are you still there? Have you grown in that or... Have you fallen back a little bit? And whatever it is God is speaking to you about tonight, remember who He is, remember what He has done, and repent of whatever He is pressing on your heart right now. And let that gracious word wash over you, that He is merciful, and then if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is it. Just there we are. If you just want to lift up your, your voice and your heart to God, just there we are. Why don't you just lift up your voice to God? It's not about saying the right things, but it's about being upright and hard before God, saying, this is the real me, Lord. This is how I feel, think, and act. But He knows that already. Yes, Lord, thank you for every prayer going up tonight, Father. Every heart, Lord, just returning to you, Father. And as we turn our hearts to you, Father, we, 
We ask, Lord, that you come and do what only you can come and do, Father, and that is purify our hearts, Lord, to restore our bright spirit within us, Lord, and to make us steadfast again, Lord, and to restore the joy of our salvations, Father. We are unable to do that, but what we can do, Father, is be honest, Father, and acknowledge the areas of our hearts, Lord, but you are not first, Father, where there is no passion for you, Father. And as we acknowledge it and say we are turning to you, Father, we are asking you to do what only you can do, Lord, and that is to heal and mend broken hearts. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, Father. We repent, Lord, of every area where we have grieved you, Father, where we have not obeyed, Father, when we should have. And yes, Lord, I pray for each and every person, Father, that feel that you have become silent, Lord, to remind them, Father, of what you have already said, Father. And I pray for the grace to go and obey what you have told them to do, Lord. That we might follow, knowing that it is a good and loving Father that calls us to do what you've called us to do, Father. It's not that we might be put to shame, Father. It's not to embarrass us, Lord. It's not to expose us, but it's a holy and loving Father wanting to come and give you life and life in abundance. And that thing is weighing you down. Let it go. Obey. Do not harden your hearts when you hear His voice tonight. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.